0: if you eat basil there's a good chance it came from scunthorpe
1: this week we take a look inside a vertical farm so it's 12 meters high and we're growing over 17 levels you know everything's sped up but it's you've got to ensure that even though it's sped up it's still the right product and the big farmland bird count
0: returns
2: for a ninth year doing these counts just put further icing on the cake to show that all the effort and all the work we do is worthwhile.
0: We'll find out how it works and how you can get involved this morning, plus agronomy, livestock and grain market reports and the weather for the week to come. The Week in Agriculture.
2: This is the Farming Programme. With Steve Orchard.
0: Hello, hope you've had a good week. We're into February and the relatively mild weather continues. It was good to get out in the sunshine earlier this week and meet with many farmers and equipment suppliers at a busy Yorkshire agricultural machinery show. And I met several farmers and teachers taking part in Tractors into Schools later this month. More schools and farmers are needed for this excellent initiative to help educate the next generation on the journey from farm to fork and much more. It's great fun. The kids. Love it, and there's loads of information and help at LincolnshireShowground.co.uk. The pig sector's problems continue and deepen with an estimated 170,000 plus backlog of pigs, tens of thousands of healthy pigs having been culled on farm what a waste and falling prices, meaning farmers have been losing around £25 per pig for nearly a year. The government has agreed to convene an emergency summit of the entire supply chain following a request from the National Pig Association and the NFU. Let's hope that comes up with some solutions, and quickly, or we simply won't have a pig sector. Another farming conference has been rescheduled following the cancellation of this year's Lincolnshire meeting. The Norfolk conference has been postponed due to COVID. It will now be held on the 30th of November at the Norfolk Showground. Good news, though. A deal's been struck between the carbon dioxide supplier CF fertilisers and users of the gas, avoiding another crisis that threatened to disrupt the whole agri-food chain. And the government has scrapped plans to impose a £200 a tonne plastic tax on silage wrap, confirming that silage film falls under an exemption as it is not wrapping, but intended to enable fermentation. Now you may have seen that the House of Lords recently published a report on nature-based solutions for climate change and it called for more action to support the government's aim of net zero by 2050 or it's likely to end in failure. To help us out with a plain English explanation, good morning to Tom Hewitt, head of the food and farming team at law firm Burgess Salmon. Tom, would you first summarise for us, please, what the
3: report's actually saying? It's raising an alarm that government needs to do an awful lot more in putting together policies for nature-based solutions to climate change. And so uh, the report is primarily focused on climate change. And those policies are really about ELMS. It says there needs to be investment in research and skills and also a new advisory service for farmers. So a bit like ADAS used to be. I know ADAS is still exists as a private advisory company, but ADAS, when it was a, a subset of MAF, they're suggesting something it sounds rather similar to that. And if the government doesn't bring all these things together within a, a land use strategy, which tries to reconcile the competing demands of uh, land use, food, nature, flood management, housing, carbon capture, then there's going to be a severe risk of failure, in the words of the Lords, that the agricultural sector and land use sector isn't going to be able to do its bit for reaching net zero by 2050.
0: As a former land agent, land manager and now head of food and farming at a law firm, what's your view on the report? Is it fair? Or are they going in the right direction? Are they saying the right things, do you
3: think? Yeah, I think it's important that these warnings are heard and that these committees at Parliament are able to call the ministries to account and DEFRA is being called back to talk again to this committee this month, I think, on some aspects of this. So it is important that DEFRA hears this, and it's not just DEFRA, but a good part of it is. None of this is easy. I mean, this is such a huge change. And I guess, had we been having this conversation three years ago on how these changes would be introduced, I think we'd all be pretty concerned that it was going to be much harder than anyone predicted. So I have some sympathy for DEFRA, but I'm afraid it's the poor old farmer who's going to be caught in the middle on it, really. Yeah, the NFU
0: and others have called for a pause on the rollout of Elms. Do you think that's ever likely to happen?
3: Well, there's a squeeze going to happen, isn't there? BPS is, is already being wound down and phased out. And we see it still seem to be a long way from having a clear understanding what Elms would deliver. So at some point, people are going to start feeling very uncomfortable financially in their inability to plan ahead and, and maintain their farm incomes in any way like they have been in the past. That could bring pressure to bear, I'd have thought.
0: I mean, we still seem, in, in a lot of cases, to be lacking
3: detail as to exactly yeah. what's going to happen and when. Yeah, I think that's right. And in Elms, there are different elements of it and some elements seem to be a bit clearer and there's some uh, interesting roadshows and pilots being run. Other areas, local nature recovery, which is one of the pillars of Elms, there really doesn't seem to be so much about it. So still quite a lot of uncertainty. I know DEFRA are putting together the policies, hopefully in conjunction and with trials and with conjunction with farmers, but it's uh, it does seem to be quite slow going.
0: All right, well, we will continue to watch this space. Tom Hewitt, Head of Food and Farming at law firm Burgess Salmon. Many thanks for joining us on the farming programme this morning.
3: Not at all.
0: Since I spoke to Tom, DEFRA Secretary George Eustace has pledged that future payment rates for the Elm scheme will be, quote, so generous that it will be a no-brainer for farmers to sign up, end quote. But still no detail. We're being asked to count the birds on the farm. Sponsored by the NFU, the Big Farmland Bird Count is underway again for this year, the ninth. To find out why and how, taking part is Lincolnshire farmer Andrew Ward. Morning, Andrew. Hello, Steve. Morning. You've done this before, several times. What do you actually do when you're counting the birds? And that might seem a daft question, you count birds, but there's a kind (laughs) of a a bit of a process to, to this, isn't there?
2: We go into one particular area of the farm. And it's important, to obviously, to go to an area where you actually have got some birds. So what I tend to do is go into an area where we've got some of our songbird feeders. And, and you've seen our feeders. We have, Steve, dotted around the farm. We've got lots of those, and they attract lots of birds that you've also seen. And it's only just a case of of going to that area for half an hour and actually going there with a clipboard. There's a special form you can download that makes it easier to record what you find and you just look around and you just see around the area what bird you can see in that one period it's as simple as that
0: how are your bird identification skills then and what if you're not very good at that
2: well that is a really good point because mine are decidedly iffy on some of them so what i do I've got a friend who farms in the next door village is a serious twitcher and he comes and just helps me uh, do it. So it's great because besides making sure I get the right ones, I'm learning from him.
0: You've been doing this for a few years, as you say. Have you noticed a a change in numbers over those years?
2: I think we, we have, yes. And I think it really is proof that feeding and uh, looking after them by putting habitat down, such as we do, makes a big difference.
0: Why is doing this important? I suppose we can see whether the practices we've put in place and the changes that have been made over the years, conservation and so on, are actually making any difference.
2: Yes, exactly, and and that's the thing. And we've been uh, doing a lot of things now for a number of years. We've had wildflower and wild uh, grass margins around every single field since 2005. And and so, yes, it's great to see that we are making a difference. And so doing these counts just puts further icing on the cake to show that all the effort and all the work we do is worthwhile.
0: There's more detail at bfbc.org.uk. The count continues until the 20th of February. Still to come this morning, reports from the livestock and grain markets, the weather for the week ahead and Basel. Lots and lots of Basel now from standing in a field counting birds to walking the fields counting aphids, good morning Sean Sparling where's that hard winter you've been hoping for?
4: Yes good morning Steve, still mild, slightly damper in places but all a little bit too nice out here at the moment in weather terms really Uh, people carrying on as though spring sprung out here, Snowdrops are out catkins hanging on, hazel trees I even had a blackbird singing his little heart out in the garden on Thursday and Friday mornings which is lovely to hear, so clearly as I said last week spring barley is going in very nicely indeed on the heathlands and so it should really with just 18 mil through january and what a different start to february this year over last year by the way the first few days of february last year gave me well over two inches of rain and about four inches of laying snow so Thankfully, we aren't there, but as we know, we do get winter in February and March far more often than we do in December and January. So, you know, make the most of the dryish, friable land, I suppose, but don't go mad. The heavier stuff really isn't goable yet, but that'll not be long if it stays like this will it. Any winter wheat that's drilled from here on in, whether it's a winter variety or not, by the way, is technically classed as being a spring wheat if it's put in after the 1st of February. So do make sure that any herbicides, etc., are okay to go on to a spring wheat there are some label restrictions on some products on doses timings or even some products not being allowed at all etc and as far as barley yellow dwarf virus goes on spring drillings of wheat and barley way too early for oats to be put in the ground by the way if that's what you're considering but it's really about IPM when it comes to BYDV at this point in the season if you think about aphids and barley yellow dwarf virus on an emerging spring barley for example or even on a late drilled winter wheat which is still barely at one or two leaves. The aphids, if they are present, are not going to be especially active at the moment. They'll be uh, all likely to procreate. So it's not hot out here. It's just not particularly cold. And as our insecticides are all contact rather than residual, therefore we need direct contact in order to kill the aphid with it not being especially pleasant it's a bit windy a lot of these aphids which may or may not be in these crops and it's absolutely vital as I keep saying that you look for them and you find them before you even consider putting an insecticide on most of these aphids are still tucked away inside the leaf folds so you're unlikely to hit them directly anyway at the moment they're still very slow they'll wait yet if they're there at all as I keep saying but you may just control and I use that word advisedly you may just control some of the predators the spiders and the other little beasties who are happily eating them for you funny actually the only aphids i can find out here in cereals at the moment are not only few and far between but when i do find one it's invariably stuck in a cobweb so you know aphids this time of year the ipm approach and let the predators do their thing in peace and without interference from you uh, disease levels by the way out here in cereals and oilseed rape alike pretty much about the same as they were last week nothing really of great concern i have seen a few people out there top dressing yes you did hear me top dressing with nitrogen on oilseed rape and actually in a wheat field the other day near nottingham a little bit previous i think but you know I hope it was only a low dose Uh, as I say with the slow growth in soil temperatures barely above 6 degrees out here. A drop of rain a sudden drop of rain and there'll be a faint whooshing sound as that nitrogen goes hurtling through the profile way faster than that sleepy little crop can grab hold of it. I personally would keep my powder dry, no pun intended Fair bit of soil sampling going on as well out here. Remember you should be sampling each one of your fields every 4 or 5 years to keep a record on that basis and as you send these samples off to the lab. I do think it's worth having them analyse those samples for soil organic matter as well as the usual pH, PK, magnesium etc. With all of the changes that we're seeing in this industry on greening, elms and all the environmental emphasis, knowing where you sit from a soil organic matter point of view won't be the worst start you have. There are a couple of ways that soil organic matter is determined in the lab. The most common is by a process called loss on ignition and that's where they measure the weight lost by an oven dried uh, which has been dried up to 105 degrees c an oven dried soil sample when it then gets heated further up to 400 degrees celsius and essentially the organic matter is burned off and the weight difference is assumed to be combustible organic matter but those temperatures actually will burn off other things like limestone chalk and other minerals too so not wholly about organic matter the loss on ignition there are other methods as well out there such as dry combustion and elemental analysis where levels of carbon are measured and can be converted back into an estimate of uh, organic matter. I'm personally specifying the Dumas method which measures the carbon dioxide given off from a soil sample after combustion and it's a measure of soil carbon which is a fixed proportion of the organic matter content and Dumas is in my opinion a far more accurate measurement of soil organic matter so if you're going to get it done you might as well go with the most accurate one we've got but whichever method you choose try and keep to the same method for comparison purposes and wherever possible try and use the same laboratory that makes absolute sense to me so that'll do for now should start to get more agronomy as the next few weeks come by and less of less of course winter does finally appear well let's see what the next seven days bring
0: Thank you, Sean. That's Sean Sparling of Sparling Agronomy Services back with us next week. If you eat basil, there's a good chance it was grown in an industrial unit in Scunthorpe on a vertical farm. What's one of those? Well, imagine a warehouse full of racking. Each rack has many thousands of seedlings gradually becoming plants. It's very warm, it's humid, but it smells lovely. Of basil now compared to the number of plants you get in a field of the same size it's perhaps 200 times as many and they take less than a month from planting to harvest i met with founder and ceo of jones food company james lloyd jones the other day he kindly showed me around the fascinating factory for want of a better word and we had a chat afterwards james i'm sure you can describe the setup and the way it works far better than me
1: yeah so it's 12 meters high and we're growing over 17 levels so this was our our first system we designed and built so it's a a roller system so the plant starts at the very uh, uh, start of its journey and ends at at the far end where it is removed ready for processing. It's hydroponic so we are putting nutrient-rich water into a, uh, a tray, a carrier tray, and that is then uh, has the plants as seedlings initially on a, a substrate. So that substrate could be anything from coir to rock wall to a carpet base or our sort of new uh, substrate that we developed which is, can be reused. It's soilless, but we can capture the nutrients and that goes around the cycle again.
0: And how long does it actually take from start to finish, James, from actually planting the seed to having a finished harvestable basil plant?
1: 21 days really for a basil plant and for flowers that could be up to 35 for uh we've done radishes and root vegetables and that could be um you know around 35 30 so you know everything's sped up but it's you've got to ensure that even though it's sped up it's still the right product you know you can grow something that then we cut and then it will die in your car tonight as you drive you, you know it needs to be able to hold up to rigor So we we have to make sure we're growing at the right speed. And you're actually harvesting daily, aren't you? So because we can grow and then our software can actually effectively predict every single day what yield and what um, crop height because everything has to be going to specification you can't just grow a big bush and then expect to sell it because no one buys that and you can't buy grow something so small that no one buys it you know you it has to be effectively a retail spec so we can program that the system will run every single day from seed, seed to harvest and it's, it's just a, a three-stage process that we're always following and then once it's cut and harvested effectively those trays are cleaned and and they go back into the cassette and and start again going around the system now you grow the plants to a spec, you're owned by Accardo. is it their spec that you're actually growing to? It's a spec of a customer or a supermarket, Accardo, the Accardo connection is, the Accardo supermarket is part of Marks & Spencers and Accardo. we don't actually supply them and we never have. We're part of the Accardo group who builds the technology to that is the back end of supermarkets, so when in the van's delivering your shopping. From a customer's point of view, an end consumer's point of view. Am I going to notice any difference?
0: If you if you did a blind taste test of, of some basil that you produce and some basil that's grown in the
1: traditional way, inverted commerce? am I going to notice any difference? Um, truthfully, probably not. It still has a nice soft texture layer with a good, good stalk, so... Um, and you are still got a much aroma. However, you'll have a much more punchier taste initially. That's where the difference is, not so much visually. The visu- Visually, it's, it's like what you normally buy or, or is grown. But you also have a slightly higher nutritional value because the plant isn't having to compete against weather and those sort of uh, variables that outside or, or uh, polytunnel growing brings. You know, high peaks of sun, high loads of cold, as it were. You know, this is very... Controlled, so you get a much punchier taste, high nutritional value, but you still get the same basil plant in in its aesthetic. And again, from a consu- end consumer's point of view, cost wise, does th- does it work out any different? Not to the consumer, no.
0: What gave you the seed, pun intended, of the idea to find a better way of growing food?
1: I don't know if we should say a better way. I would say a different way. This takes out issues that are naturally seen, whether, for instance, if field grown or labour issues, if it was polyton or greenhouse grown. I I see it as contributes to the supply chain rather than takes away or is better but effectively i saw it when i was about seven six or seven on um tomorrow's world which was the ideas program on bbc years ago which they should bring back to um for other kids to actually get and it was i think it was like a light bulb over a jar with a seed in it and i don't like getting muddy i don't like being cold so i thought that was the perfect farming for me
0: That's James Lloyd-Jones, CEO of the Jones Food Company in Scunthorpe, who I visited the other day. And we'll have more from that very interesting visit
5: next week on the farming programme.
0: On to the weekly market reports now. Firstly, livestock with Oliver Chapman at Louth Livestock Market. Good morning, Oliver.
5: Good morning, Steve. Another weekly roundup from here at Louth for Monday the 31st of January 2022. Starting with the prime cattle, which saw heifers top at 244 pence per kilo and gross 1,376 pounds for F. Wallace and Son of Biscathorpe, while well, the prime steers topped at 228 pence per kilo and gross 1,228 pounds for J. S. Brooks of Strubby. On to the cool cows, and just a pair and offer from J. E. Holden and Son of Techney topped at 140 pence per kilo and 864 pounds. That wraps the cattle up. On to the sheep. Starting with the Prime Hogs which saw an SQQ average of 265.12 pence per kilo with an all-in average of 259.83 pence per kilo and an all-in per head average of £113.43 pence. Top came for FW Robertson Sons of Rutan at £128 per head while the pence per kilo was topped by Dyson Farming Limited of Nocton at 291 pence per kilo. On to the Cull Ews, similar number forward. However, a slightly dearer trade saw so an all-in average of £91.14 with a top for P.S. Marsden & Son of Cold Hanworth at £160. That wraps this week's market report up. Tomorrow, Monday the 7th of February, is store cattle day. With already 45 to 50 entered, more are required to meet buyer demand. Prime cattle and cool cattle and prime hogs and cool sheep are required weekly. Please do not hesitate to contact me to discuss marketing options. This is Oliver Chapman for Masons and Louth Marketing. Thank you.
0: Many thanks,
6: Oliver, to the Grain Markets with Open Fields. Kit Dickinson. Now, morning to you, Kit. Well, good morning, Steve. The wheat market this week, just how much soybean and maize production has already been lost is unknown, with much of the growing season still in front of us, but you can be sure that whatever that amount is, it will not be reflected in the USDA report next week. As US soybean prices rise, maize will need to tag along to ensure enough acres are planted, whilst also looking at the area of spring wheat and cotton. Higher soy mill and maize prices would prompt some consumers to use more wheat in their rations, and it goes on. Forecasts for a drought in the US Plains and La Nina persisting into the Northern Hemisphere, bringing heat and dryness to the US summer, will only fan the flames further, should they verify. In the meantime, the wheat market for so long has been the front-runner, and has now clicked a couple of fences and faltered, mainly on the hopes that chances of hostilities between Russia and the Ukraine are receding, at least until after the opening of the Winter Olympics in Beijing, which Putin is scheduled to attend. He would not want to take the spotlight off China's president, If Russia were to invade, there would be no warning and the initial reaction to the potential disruption of wheat and maize flows from the Black Sea would be significant, particularly with funds now short on the seabot wheat. Even without a Russian invasion, global milling wheat stocks remain tight and the USDA will still need 7 to 8 million metric tonnes too high on their EU and Russian exports. So, unless demand for old crop falls off a cliff, it appears the premature market fall will be killing the inverse to new crop, particularly with the South America looking in a mess with a lot of weather to negotiate before the Northern Hemisphere's crops are actually made. Moving on to altered Rope this week, markets have slowly risen again, which have been supported by good demand. Higher prices are still needed to bring out much trade as buyers and sellers are too wide apart again. So it's been about who is kicking the ball down the road or indeed who is going to blink first. We have, however, seen some buyers of old crop due to concerns about them getting cover in the forward months in a year that we know is very tight supply. And fundamentals are unchanged with over five months left before we see any new crop or seed rape come to the market. Things are likely to stay very volatile. In the EU, rape oil was mostly quoted between 3 and €15 per tonne higher as players looked to take protection. Expecting gains in Chicago soybeans and rapeseed futures on the back of downgrades in South American soybean crop, palm oil on the European vegetable oil markets was mostly firmer on Wednesday, on the second day without direction from the Malaysian palm oil futures, due to the lunar New Year's holidays. Further afield, the South American forecast is turning increasingly dry across Argentina, Paraguay and southern Brazil. The extreme heat is starting to ease, but temperatures remain warm and there is still no sign of any pattern change until at least mid-February. Central, eastern and northern Brazil, however, will continue to see above normal rainfall, bringing additional flooding in the east and hampering the bean harvest. So moving forward to prices this week, feed wheat, ex the farm for February, 210 to 216, with little change to March, 211 to 217, May, 213 to 222. November new crop 184 to 192. Milling wheat premiums are circa 40 to 45 pounds dependent on area. Feed barley this week for March 200 to 210, May 202 to 212 and November new crop 165 to 175. Malting barley premiums are circa 60 to 65 pounds. Oil seed rate for February is 585 to 592. Little change moving into March at 585 to 593. May 595 to 600 and November new crop 485 to 495.
0: Thanks as ever, Kit. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. Another damp and fairly mild for the time of year week, although it is getting colder. Blustery westerly winds today in the mid-20s MPH gusting into the 50s. Rain through the day and highs of six or seven down to three overnight into Monday, which should be dry with the wind from the southeast easing down to the mid-teens MPH. Warmer with highs of 10 Celsius continuing into a similar Tuesday and Wednesday. Some heavy rains likely into Thursday and Friday, similar westerly winds but turning colder with temperatures likely to be below freezing on Friday. Next week, more from my visit to Jones Food Company's Vertical Farm and we'll look ahead to the launch of this year's Mind Your Head campaign for mental health run by the Farm Safety Foundation. I'm Steve Orchard. Until then, have a good week on farm.